If you have a copy of the Word of God with you this evening, we'll be reading two selections of the Word of God tonight. Uh, John, in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, the first four verses, and then uh, back to John 16, uh, going on into the Lord's uh, Prayer, the Lord's High Priestly Prayer in John 17. Uh, those words back there will be a bit familiar because we read them last week, uh, but we will expand on our, on our lessons and our learning here with this new sermon series. This is the Word of God, beginning here now with John's Gospel, chapter 1, here at verse 1, and then we'll turn back to chapter 16. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then turn with me back to chapter 16, beginning at verse 28. Our Lord is in this farewell address sometimes referred to also as the upper room discourse, his teaching, his lessons in the upper room, just before those times of being um, betrayed and arrested and so on and so forth. This is John 16 at verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Uh, thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray as we begin. Let's pray together. Our Father, we turn to you once again, asking that through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you would glorify yourself in this time of being in your word. Lord, we are, we are not here of our, for ourselves. Uh, we are here for you and for your honor and your adoration. And so make your own name great, Lord, in our presence tonight. Minister to us through your word. O oh, Father, um, uh, we, 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 we hold fast to you. Uh, we hold fast to your word. Uh, we turn to your son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of of the person, of the ministry of the Spirit, Lord, 
uh, well up inside of us that we would know even that much more to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord in this new week ahead of us now. Grant us your favor and grant us your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear congregation of the Lord, there are basically two important facts that we will always be reminded about when we are about faithful preaching in the Word of God here. Two important facts that we will always be reminded about and concerning our fellowship in the Lord, meaning our relationship to Almighty God. Those two important facts are, you know, whose am I? To whom do I belong? An important fact. Whose am I? To whom do I belong? And then the other important fact is, is his favor, let me say it this way, how is his favor resting upon me? How is his favor resting upon me? Two important facts in the Christian life. Whose am I? To whom do I belong? The living God. And as well, in what manner, in what way is his favor resting upon me in my life? Sometimes Bible teachers will speak about this matter on this first question, to whom do I belong? Talking about our union with our God. We belong to the Lord. Our spiritual union is with our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then Bible teachers as well and pastors will speak about this matter. Well, in what way is his favor upon my life? That's a question that Bible teachers will say is about our communion with the Lord, our walking with the Lord, the closeness of knowing that the Lord is present with us. And brothers and sisters, I submit to you tonight that it's these questions, to whom do I belong and in what manner is this favor upon me, resting upon my life, that are central to the matter of the doctrine of adoption. Those are the lessons that we are about in this sermon series. The doctrine of adoption. I belong to the Lord and His favor is upon me. In what way is that favor upon me? Well, tonight, as we begin to you know, keep, you know, keep bulldozing through scriptures, keep bulldozing through the terrain of the Old and New Testaments, particularly in the New, that's where we are tonight, as we continue to bulldoze, I want to just anchor us down in two points, two points tonight. To know something about you know, whose am I? And then to know something about, Lord, I'm walking with you as your son or daughter. How is your favor upon me? It's to go back to Jesus once again. As we continue to unearth the scriptures, move some dirt around. I was going to use the illustration when I was a little boy in South Louisiana, New Iberia. I'd use a machete when I was, se a machete when I was seven years old. I'd go out to those sugarcane fields, whack those sugarcane fields, and just grab a stalk. You got grab a stalk and start gnawing on that cane. You see all these cavities I've got? I would gnaw on that sugar cane when I'd walk back home. I thought about using that machete. As we go through the scriptures, we'll be using that machete to do what? To go to the sweetness. The sweetness of the Lord's lessons about the doctrine of adoption here. Two fundamental anchoring points for us from these verses we've read tonight as we focus upon Jesus. And knowing something about whose am I and his favor that's upon me, first, it's his own eternal origin. 
his own eternal origin, and then secondly, his own eternal assurances. In our union with Christ, in our spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, we go back to him to examine once again, what about his heavenly origin? And in this matter as well, uh, what about these assurances that he himself has as being a son unto his father, and thus we benefit immensely, greatly. Let's take up the first one, his eternal or heavenly origin. Again in John 16 at verse 28, John 16 at verse 28, I came from the Father. Just those opening words there. In John's gospel, this language of coming from the Father is something that Jesus wanted his own disciples to get down pat. His coming, this coming from, is important. Just think of the survey of a few verses with me. You've heard, likely you've heard these verses. In John 6 at verse 51, he tells the crowd, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. At John 8, 42, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. Heavenly origin. John 16, 27, we didn't read verse 27, we started at 28. But right in our own section here, John 16, 27, you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Down in John chapter 17, look down at verse 8. If you have your Bible open there at verse 8. For I've, he's praying for his disciples, for I have given them the words that you gave me. He's praying to his Father. And they've received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you. <laughs> What's the point here? Why is John's gospel emphasizing this matter of heavenly origin, that he's come down from heaven, that he's come down from the Father? What's John's point? What's Jesus' point? Here it is. You get Jesus' origin, you get Jesus' person. You get Jesus' backstory, you get his significance. You get his coming into the world, and you get grabbed by who he is. And the disciples were starting to get it. In John 16 at verse 30, in our own passage, these are the words of the disciples. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. <laughs> so this is obvious an important point in John's gospel and an important point about Jesus and his own teaching revealing to those around him, something about his own eternal heavenly origin. But let's drill down a little bit more. Let's grab the machete and trim back a little bit more in our, in our uh, scriptural work here tonight. In John's gospel, there's something specifically significant about Jesus coming down from heaven. In John's gospel, here's one lesson about some significance about this. In John chapter 3, at verse 2, you have Nicodemus approaching Jesus. Remember, it's nighttime. He approaches Jesus to investigate with Jesus, to inquire with Jesus. Chapter 3, at verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one could do these things that you do unless God is with him. 
What's the application? What's the significance about that? Here it is. We cannot come to God. <laughs> we cannot gain knowledge of our God, of ourselves. We cannot attain. We cannot of ourselves discover. And here's now where it walks with us in our Christian life, brothers and sisters. Here's where it now walks with us in our day-to-day -day life. We cannot interpret our own story. We cannot interpret our background, our sin, our own way, our troubles, our hardships, our ambitions, our desires, our hopes, our dreams of ourselves. We cannot traffic in God's promises, really make them ours, walking as sons and daughters. We cannot be anchored in truth. We cannot be about our discovery of our gifts, spiritual gifts. We cannot be about living the way ahead in Christ unless the Lord is our teacher. In 1985, I went through about 10 months of severe depression. 1985. My Orthodox Presbyterian pastor said, Mark, this is at the end of the 10 months. I'd met with him multiple, multiple times. But at the end of the 10 months, he said, Mark, I'm not sure what else to say. But we're going to pray. So we left his office and we walked back down the hallway to the back of the church facility. We went back into a Sunday school classroom and we both got down on our knees and we prayed. I testify to you tonight that in God's mercies and kindness, within days of being on my knees with my pastor in prayer, that God opened up the heart and the mind, brought the promises of God to bear in ways I had not experienced. And my pastor knew that. Do you see how this folds out from underneath that the heavenly origin of our eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, Nicodemus knew this, you're a teacher come from God. <laughs> he is the prophet who reveals the way to God. He opens the eyes. He opens the heart. He illumines the mind. And that's important in John's gospel, even as we learn more and more. What is it to walk with our God who is our Father and we're, our, we're His sons and daughters? My pastor knew, Mark, Man's efforts are frail and vain and weak. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. That's turning our lives over to the Lord, knowing our weakness and our blindness, our dullness of heart, and going to the Lord. Lord, you must answer and give life here. This matter again of the heavenly origin of Jesus, as we're united to Christ, there's a second lesson that I would say, and I think you will know too, is even more fundamental about Jesus coming into the world. Not only has he come as teacher, 
But we have a lesson here in John chapter 11. Again, we, I like to go back to some stories. You, you, you're picking this up now. I like to go back to stories because we have another reference about this one who's coming into the world. He's coming into the world. John chapter 11. This time it's Martha. Before it was Nicodemus at night saying he's a teacher. This time it's Martha. And Martha, you remember, at that scene with her brother, Lazarus is dead. He's been in that tomb now for four days, the Bible tells us, John 11. But she has this confession in the midst of her trouble, in the midst of the circumstances of her brother being dead, her own confession, John 11 at verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Here it is. Who is coming into the world? That's the language of being sent. That's the language of heavenly origin. He's come into the world. But now watch this one. If Nicodemus spoke of him as teacher to illumine the eyes and to illumine the heart, now here we have God, uh, John in his gospel speaking of Jesus as the mighty one to overcome sin and sin's consequences. He is there before that tomb. Martha is there confessing him. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. That's to say, the Son of God, the Christ, who's coming into the world. You've come down from heaven. The Christ has come. This is language of being sent. John, John has told us back in chapter 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. She is confessing, Martha is confessing, this is the mighty one of God. And essentially what she's confessing is that he's the mighty one of God because only God can overcome sin and sin's consequences, death. The wages of sin is death. Lazarus is dead. And he's going to be at that tomb, and they're going to have the stone rolled away, and he's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. This is the mighty Son of God, who is very God himself. We read John chapter 1, those opening words of John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John is using this title for Jesus being the Word. You see, Jesus' heavenly origin is not only to establish the fact that he's come down from heaven to teach, but Jesus' heavenly origin is that he is very God of very God with the Father and with the Spirit before the foundation of the world in the beginning was the Word. He's come down as mighty God to deal with sin and its consequences, and only Almighty God can do that. And the gospel here is recording for us in these opening words of John's gospel that this God who exists before creation, this God who is over all creation, John says is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, here it is, was God. <laughs> he is the one true God. He is the only who exists. He is the same God, and he's named the Word. The being that God is, is the same being the Word is. 
The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And, and Jesus will later pray for believers to join him and the Father in heavenly glory. Later on in John 17, Jesus will pray. And in doing so, he states that the Father loved him before the creation. That means there was never a time when the Father was not the Father and the Son was not the Son. The Father's fatherhood and the Son's sonship are eternal. And you have this language, the same language here in John chapter 1, at the end of verse 1, that the Word was with God. I'm sorry, at the middle of that part, in the middle of that verse. The Word was with God. That word being with God is literally meaning to be turned toward God, turned toward God. Jesus is turned toward the other infinite one, who is the Father. What does that mean? There is this endless solid, unbreakable, forever exchanging of that eternal bond of love that characterizes the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're being anchored in sonship in that Jesus is the eternal God. <laughs> All that the Father is in John's gospel we're being taught is Jesus Christ, who's named here the Word. And yet Jesus Christ is not the Father. He'll tell us back in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one, and yet they are not identical. They are distinct and yet indivisible. There is but one God, yet there are three persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit. <laughs> there is God the Father. There is God the Word, whom John will call in chapter 1 at verse 14, the Son the only begotten Son. He's the Son. Not three gods, one God. Not one person, three persons. Dwelling forever in that eternal bond of love. Whose am I? I belong to Jesus, the eternal Son of God. The eternal Son of God. And then we think about that question, in what manner is his favor resting upon me? I belong to the eternal Son of God, very God himself. In what manner is his favor resting upon me? I want to point out to you just two things about Jesus now, his own assurances, his own eternal assurances. What do I mean here? His own favor that he knows in being commun in communion with the Father and the Spirit. His own favor that he knows. Again, in John 16, at verse 28, he says the simple words, I came from the Father. That passage, just at that basic level, is teaching us once again that there is this relationship, the Father with the Son, the Son with the Father. I want to point out just two assurances. One assurance that the Son has regarding the favor of the Father is love. It's affection. It's solidarity. 
that love between the Father and the Son is unbreakable. In John chapter 17 at verse 23, I in them and you in me. He's praying for this unity that we would experience in the church. John 17, 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them. Now watch these words, love them even as you loved me. I cannot fathom that, friends. The eternal, unbreakable, never to spoil or fade, ever faithful, ever constant, ever full, weighty, never to diminish. That eternal love and that bond between the Father and the Son is the love resting upon your life. When I teach at youth camps, high school students, nowadays I pull out my phone. I used to pull out my billfold and I'd use the illustration because sometimes high school students will say to me, Pastor Mark, I know that God loves me but does he like me? Does he like me? And nowadays I pull out the phone and I say, imagine with me that the Lord, maybe one of his angels, has a phone in heaven and he's swiping the screen. And that angel is going from place to place in, in the heavenly courts showing other angels. That angel is going from place to place in the heavenly courts, maybe showing other exalted saints. Saints with the Lord. Hey, you see these kids? They're my kids. You see, that's, that's Sam, that, and that, that's that Susan. And he's swiping the screen. I've done that with high school students, and you can just begin to see the tears in their eyes. Why? Because it communicates to them. They, they know. They've heard from being little people in God's covenant family that God loves them. God loves them. But sometimes they'll ask the question, does God like me? The eternal love between the Father and the Son is the love that is bestowed upon us as sons and daughters. I was singing in the car tonight, coming over here to the service. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Behold what manner the love the Father has given unto us. That's the song. That very love, that love that's eternal between the Father and the Son is yours, family. <laughs> the assurances that the Son enjoys are the assurances that are ours. The other lesson, just to conclude with, and we'll come back to next time, is the assurance of knowledge. We've seen the assurance of love but there's also the assurance of knowledge between the Father and the Son. In John chapter 17, once again at verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. That perfect knowledge between the Father and the Son. Listen to these words from Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 about the Son's knowledge of the Father. 
and the Father's knowledge of the Son. Matthew 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Wonderful verses of that perfect knowledge. Eternal, unchanging, thorough, complete, full knowledge between the Father and the Son. Now, verses like that, and I, I'm, I'm with you, brothers and sisters, tonight. I don't know about you, but I find those verses to be pretty, pretty heavy and kind of deep to think that there's perfect knowledge between the Father and the Son. The Son knows the Father. The Father knows the Son. We are dull. <laughs> we only see in part. And that's why we're called to trust in our eternal God and Father. To trust in the Son, the Lord Jesus, for He knows the Father. He knows, he knows the Father in that closeness, in that intimacy, in that purpose and security. Though we don't know the Father exactly as the Son knows the Father, Ours is that copy. Ours is that, uh, that, that knowing of an image to know God, to serve God in truth. But you see, in the Son, we have the true God. In the Son, we have true and fruitful purpose in life. In the Son, where we have dull of heart, dull of hearing, dull of eyes and sight. There is that perfection to see. Lord, our eyes are opened. Our ears are unstopped. The heart is made soft. Because of the relationship between the Father and Son, that perfect knowledge, we experience that same knowledge and that sense of knowing truth. The true God. Not with exhaustive knowledge, no way. But we can rely upon our Father through His Son by the power of the Spirit. And He's reliable. He's faithful. He is not misleading. Um, he will not speak one thing and then take it away. We know Him in truth. We know Him in His faithfulness and reliability. I close with these words. In this context of the Son knowing the Father and the Father knowing the Son, Jesus has this invitation. Come to me, all who, are la who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, whose am I? I belong to the eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who sent His Son to be our Savior. And because of the assurances, the fruit, the favor, the blessings between the Father and the Son, we experience that same fruit and that same favor 
those assurances that our God and Father is with us to keep us, watch over us, and to have his favor rest upon us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, the marvels of sonship and being a daughter of the Most High God, it is, uh, these marvels are overwhelming. But, Lord, in you, uh, there is life and there is purpose. Uh, Teach us to give our lives to Christ day by day, the security that is ours, the delight and the favor that rests upon the children of God. Would you be with us and would you encourage us? Would you bless us? Even now, O God, as we commune with you, our Savior and Lord, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.